Hello, and welcome to this bonus episode of The Stuff of Dreams, Tiger King edition. This is actually an episode recorded a few months ago for my friend Ben's podcast, Look, Just Tell Me What to Do. But I'm cross-posting it here for those of you who'd like to hear more about how the principles of symbols and archetypes that I use to interpret dreams can also be applied to analyzing TV shows and movies, and even the psychology of those crazy Tiger King people. Enjoy! Depth or archetypal psychology, a philosophy propagated largely by Carl Jung in the early 20th century, accepts the reality of the unconscious and studies its effects on our conscious activities and attitudes. Today, we talk with Dr. Amy Lawson, MD, pediatrician, and soon-to-be doctor, Dr. Amy Lawson, as she's writing a dissertation toward an additional PhD in Jungian and archetypal studies. And as it happened, she watched Tiger King, and as it also happens, came away with a few questions. First of all, what unconscious motivation could these people possibly have in their desire to dominate big cats? And why is Joe Exotic so convinced that Carol's second husband is buried under a septic tank, of all things? Also, how is Carol Baskin's relationship to cats tied to her taking control of her own destiny? And how is that related to the strange photo of her husband on a leash on their wedding day? These questions and more as Dr. Dr. Lawson schools us on how to look more deeply into anything we watch on TV, read in a book, or witness in everyday life. My name is Benjamin Russick, licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is my podcast, Look, Just Tell Me What to Do. Today, Dr. Doctor, Dr. Doctor, because she's getting a PhD, even though she already has an MD, which is madness. What are we talking about today, and why are you here? Everyone is trying to do things that are so important during this global pandemic. Yes, COVID. You know, highbrow, mm. worthwhile projects. We thought yes. that we should probably spend some time today talking about the Tiger King, Joe Exotic. <laughs> Absolutely. And what we're doing is we're looking at this through the depth psychological lens or the Jungian archetypal lens. Yes. Yeah. I've seen a lot written about him and the characters with more pop psychology stuff and throwing around terms like narcissist and things like that. But it struck me that nobody was getting into the deeper stuff. So depth psychology looks at not just consciousness, but unconscious motives too, right? Unconscious Mm -hmm. motives, unconscious complexes. It looks at the parts of us that we don't think are fit for public consumption. Uh Uh-huh. And I think that there's a lot of that going on in a lot of the characters in the Tiger King documentary. And I think it's also going to be interesting to look at what it is in us as consumers of this documentary that really has made this the ultimate pandemic viewing. And if you think anything I say is crazy, he was my former therapist, so you can blame him. And that's kind of mean, don't you think? (laughs) (laughs) I fixed you up so you could fuck me over. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. So let's start. So to me, the main image in all of that footage was the big cats themselves, right? And big cat or feline energy is thought of in the depth psychology or symbolic world as inherently feminine. And so in lieu of that, we need to define some terms. What what is a feminine? (laughs) What does that word mean? Well, in Jungian terms... 
we all have multiple parts of ourselves and we all have some masculine parts and some feminine parts. So it's not like women should only have the feminine stuff and men should only have the masculine. If Jungian psychology is all about balance and individuation is about integrating all the parts of yourself then you, that you can, then everybody has aspects of both. So when we're calling big cats feminine energy, that doesn't mean that they're only important to women and shouldn't be important to men or something like that. Um, So I think we need to talk about archetypally what does feminine versus masculine mean. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, women have a preponderance of the feminine and generally speaking, men have a preponderance of the masculine. However, that's not necessarily the case. And we're talking about masculine and feminine. We're not talking about gender, folks, even though we kind of are, but we're really not. So some feminine archetypes are moonlight. The sun is very direct. It's more masculine. It shines and it's simple in its strength. Whereas the moon is equal in its strength, but it's much more serendipitous in the way it kind of gets things done. It kind of illuminates and and snakes around and kind of has a whole different method of doing it. So the masculine and the feminine, they're both means to an end, but different means to an end. Yeah, that's a really good example. Taking that even further, like the moon is more cyclical, right? Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't look the same every night, whereas the sun pretty much looks the same every <laughs> what day. You see is what so you get, again, folks. Ma- masculine versus feminine in that way too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of my professors at school would use the terms like yin and yang instead of masculine and feminine just yeah. to try to get it a little bit away from gender. So if that helps you out, then that's fine. We're really just talking about two ends of a spectrum. Yeah. Feminine qualities tend to be more about incubation, more about hidden things, internal things, mystery sometimes closer to nature and the earth and matter and more grounded like that. The feminine part of the self in Jungian terms is often thought of as the part that brings us to a sense of soul or brings us to a a deeper sense of interiority. Whereas masculine energy is obviously also important. It tends to be a little more about initiation, about seeking goals. It can be more aggressive. It can be closer to like spirit and transcendence and things like that. We should also say that there are both positive and negative aspects of the masculine and the feminine, right? Mm-hmm. So the feminine isn't all mothering in love. There's the devouring mother archetype. There's a lot of angry goddesses in Indian culture and things like that. Another negative positive aspect of feminine is the positive aspect would be the weaver, right? She makes the cloth mm-hmm. um, and she keeps the family together, yeah. the relationships, the thread and kind of weaves the community. But the negative aspect of that is the spider. So the spider is the negative mother that ensnares. So very often you'll see people who think they're doing the right thing by keeping their families together, like these moms that are kind of like matriarchs that are constricting and winding and binding and ensnaring when they believe that they're doing the positive thing, but in fact they're embodiment of something very negative. And that's one of the ways that archetypes can be a very useful way to identify behaviors and have real utility in the world because you can, someone could say, well, I'm just trying to help my children. Well, but you're ensnaring your children. And that kind of archetypal thinking is a sort of a psychological shortcut to a solution, which is really kind of cool. Yeah. The more that the masculine or the feminine is repressed in your psyche, the more unconscious energy it gains. And then it's going to come up in a more negative way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably the part that's most relevant for what we'll be talking about about the Tiger King. Okay. So what we're going to do, ladies and gentlemen, is we're going to use these fancy pants archetypal terms to basically take shortcuts into understanding Tiger King in a new and amazing and deep way (laughs) in ways that you never thought of before. Actually, I would say this podcast is a lecture on how to use archetypal thinking to better your understanding of television. 
Excellent. Yep. <laughs> I have to say, after going to school, I don't watch a movie the same way. No, it's my, totally different. My husband got tired of me pausing Tiger King and being like, do you see what's going on here? I was like, okay, I'll stop. <laughs> yeah. I rewatched Star Wars recently. Oh. And man, it, that fucking movie gets better every single time. And you can really see how far Lucas and everyone has strayed from the archetypal underpinnings of Star Wars with all the, the more recent ones. It's just like there's not, a, there's not an archetype in them. <laughs> In the new ones, and then you can see why they really failed. Mm. Anyway, I'm I'm talking too much. No, you're not. You're just saying why why our perspective is super important for people. Yeah, it's <laughs> during this COVID crisis. You're going to be rewatching all of your old Netflix favorites because you're going to be seeing them with with new eyes. There we go. With archetypal it. eyes, ladies and gentlemen, you can watch rewatch Friends, the whole thing. <laughs> Seinfeld never be the same. Oh, that show's about nothing anyway. I don't know if I could. It's the nothing archetype. I hate Seinfeld. I do too. I think it's boring (laughs) as shit. I don't know why people like it so much. Well, I guess we have to start with the man himself, Joe Exotic, right? Joe motherfucking Exotic. I'm pretty sure he called himself something like a flamboyant, gun-toting, gay, southern redneck. So He did say that. Yeah, he's pretty amazing, right? So At least he knows who he is. You know, a lot of the people in this documentary are infatuated with big cats. So I think we can say that a lot of them are fascinated with dominating the, you know, aggressive or energetic feminine in some way, right? Well, let's get a thing here. Why are cats symbolic of the feminine? How does that work? I mean, if we think about them as a foil for dogs, you know, dogs inherently seem more masculine, Masculine. aggressive. Cats can be more aloof, more slow-paced, more feminine. Cats tend to be a little more in their bodies, a little Mm -hmm. more sensual sometimes. They're more ephemeral too. Mm -hmm. That's why they're they're in one room and they're in another room. You can never pin a cat down. Yeah, they Mm -hmm. have a mind of their own. They're much harder to train yeah they're like moonlight in that sense Mm -hmm. they really are and dogs not so much cats also have a tie to witches and to ancient feminine wisdom through being witches familiars so Uh there's just a lot of ways that in symbol in myth in story Uh that cats have been portrayed as more feminine and then the fact that these are big cats were you know hundreds of pounds and fierce and could kill someone makes them the more aggressive, energetic, strong, feminine energy, a symbol of that, right? I I would 100% agree with that. Yeah. So what makes Joe Exotic so fascinated by this kind of energy? What do you think? My my sense of Joe Exotic and a lot of the people in there is that they were borrowing the power from those cats. Mm. Especially Jeff Lowe, how he would go around with his or with his wife attracting people, oh, yeah, women to parties. Get into that. Absolutely. Yeah. The feminine is the thing in the culture that really adds the beauty. Like if you think of the masculine as the post and the feminine as the vine with the flowers that grows up the post mm. and gives the post beauty. Because the post would be a boring, stupid post without the feminine, but the feminine would be I'm not saying women, ladies and gentlemen. I'm saying the feminine. Get that straight. I'm not saying women have no form. I'm not saying women are weak. I'm not saying that. Agreed. I'm talking about an energy field. So you see the people holding pictures of tigers on, on Instagram and on dating apps and everyone wants to look at me and the tiger. And it's like, I think people feel like they get a certain power from tigers. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because there's such a powerful dose of the feminine that it's just like the feminine goes, look at me, the peacock feathers, right? Even though they're, even though they're male, but that's another story. But it's like, look at me. Here I am. Here's the thing. Here's all the colors here's all the power here's all the beauty and i think tigers just are such a symbol of numinous ephemeral effeminate power that's what i think is going on basically 
yeah, and most of these people that we're going to talk about want to somehow be able to control that power, right? Right. So I think for Joe Exotic, he's got this weird mix of wanting to control it, but also wanting to use it for connection. I guess you could say that for a lot of the guys, but I think there's two aspects for Joe. It's control and it's connection because he wants to be able to breed them for his own means and he wants to be able to make money with them. But he's also shown being really affectionate with them and petting them, especially when they're small. He likes to drive around with them and pet them. And um, so he does get some kind of sense of connection with it. In fact, he he says that they're his therapy, right? I mean, I think that his interesting relationship with the feminine started a lot earlier. He grew up in the South somewhere, but knew by the age 13 he was gay, right? Uh-huh. And his father essentially disowned him at the time. You know, he didn't have that sense of connection and of mothering and of close family. And so he used these big cats and this big cat sanctuary to build this family of misfits, right? So not only did he collect these cats that he could be in charge of, but he collected these people who often were just out of jail or rehab that he would offer a place to live at the sanctuary so that they could work and he could build a family that he was in control of, but also provided him with some sense of connections. And I wonder how much of that was even egged on by all the masculine influences that are around when you live in Southern Oklahoma, right? I mean, they're always riding around shooting their guns in their big trucks. There's multiple scenes of him shooting things so that they explode. And Uh the more one-sided you are in all that masculine imagery, the more the opposite stuff is going to come up in the unconscious. Does that make sense at all? Sure. There's a term I've used before, anantiodromia, which means when there's a preponderance of one force, say the masculine, things tend to switch to their opposite state, say the feminine. So when you have an uber-masculine culture, You'll have eruptions of the feminine and vice versa. Yeah. So repression of the feminine causes it to come out in more unconsciously motivated ways. So, you know, was he trying to repress some of the, quote, feminine aspects of himself and not be gay or, you know, not need all of this connection that he felt he needed? That's just one depth psychological possibility. And then, of course... As much as he loves the big cats, he hates Carol, right? He hates Carol Baskin because she could be taking him away from him. And she's a woman, isn't it? That's right. So she's, what is she? She's a negative feminine figure for him? Definitely. You know, he calls her a terrorist and is afraid that she's going to take his therapy animals away from him, basically. And so if he's got a projection on the positive feminine, you can bet your ass he's going to have a projection on the negative feminine. So by projection, what we mean is, is that when your your inner contents, whatever you're holding as a person, uh, let's say you are holding your a desire to have more feminine in your life because everything's so masculine around you and you project that desire onto an object, say a tiger um, or Carol Baskin. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to get into Jeff Lowe. So... I just think of him as the second character, right? Because he's the one that has the zoo now. And he's also super, I shouldn't say creepy. Um, You can say he's super creepy. He's super creepy. So Dr. Dr. Lawson thinks that Jeff Lowe is super creepy, ladies and gentlemen. And she's afraid to say that for some reason. Uh, Jeff Lowe, wherever you are, you are creepy. So, I mean, he's this old bald guy with this young hot wife, right? And they use these baby cubs to attract more women to come swing with them and have sex with them. Yeah, I believe his his quote in the show was, a little pussy gets you a lot more pussy. Yeah, that was the quote. <laughs> I mean, like, th- there's no better explanation of his opinion about the feminine than that quote. He wants quote. to get as much of the feminine as he can. Yeah, so he is using his domination of these big cats in order to affect his domination of his women females yeah. as well. Do you remember the scene where she's sitting there pregnant and he's talking about having the baby? 
you know, she's sitting there pregnant and he's like, we're going to take her in next week and get her induced. And then we're going to get her back in the gym. That was the first thing he said about it. And I just, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, clearly this is what he values about about the women, right? How they look and what they can do for him. I would call him a super extrovert. Yeah. Because it's so an extrovert in the way that we're talking about is an extrovert is not necessarily outgoing, but they preoccupy themselves with the physical realm, the world of things. You know, you can say, well, he objectifies women. Well, he objectifies everything. 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 Women just happen to be on his right on, on in that bundle. If you objectify the tiger, well, what can the tiger do for me? The tiger can get me sex, right? That's what it can do. What can the woman get me? Well, you look good and you can get me sex and you can make me feel good. The real irony in all this is that then the question becomes, why does an extrovert want to get laid? What are they looking for? I do think that within everybody is a desire for the union of the opposites, Mm -hmm. the masculine and the feminine. Men have a feminine side and women have a masculine side. And so when we fall in love with somebody, we're projecting our positive. If I fall in love with a woman, I'm projecting the positive aspects of my inner woman onto a woman because when she approves of me, it's as though my inner woman is approving of me and I feel whole. So the reason people feel so great when they fall in love is because they feel connected inwardly. They're getting approval from that dark, shadowy aspect of themselves. Well said, yes. And the thing is, is that men... Men who just want to get laid all the time, that beneath all of that insanity and that objectifying and that really pretty horrible behavior is a basic desire to feel connected. Yeah. But they don't know it. No. They just know that it's like, oh, this feels good. It's like methamphetamine. When people do drugs, they're doing drugs because they're trying to heal themselves. They're doing drugs because they're trying to get to a place of peace and quiet, essentially, a place of feeling good. I like to be high. Well, what is high? High is like an artificial, spiritually advanced state of being. Yeah. So if you're somebody who has a lot of pain, of emotional pain or psychological pain, and you take, you know, Xanax and suddenly that all that pain goes away. Well, if you are a really spiritually advanced person, you wouldn't have that pain in the first place. So the Xanax takes you there for just a few minutes, you know. Anyway, so I just think that the great irony of people who are who engage in really unhealthy behavior is that somewhere back in there is a basic desire to become a better human being, even though they don't know it, which is really strange. (laughs) And but a really good way to cut people some slack sometime, even when you just can't stand them. Yeah. Who's next? Who's next? So let's do Doc Antle. Oh, Doc Antle. Do you remember one of the first images where you see him on film? I think he's telling them how to film him. That, yes. uh huh. And then the most archetypal image that I saw early on is when they're introducing him at his sanctuary. And what does he ride in on? Do you remember? Uh, he's on an elephant. Oh, that's right. Which is, it is a female elephant, but elephants too have that feminine, are they feminine? mothering no, wisdom. No, I never thought about of. that. Yeah. Elephants are matriarchal. They're, yeah. so you know, all the bull elephants live alone and the communities are all the women, the matriarchal elephant. Yeah. So they're very feminine maternal wisdom kind of energy and so that one image of him for me was like he is using this feminine being to transport his huge male ego everywhere yeah and make an impression on the people that visit his sanctuary yeah Yeah. oh so one of doc antle's quotes tells his attitude toward tigers as the feminine really specifically i think so listen to this nothing is cooler sexier and more significant to the world we live in today than a tiger it has this primordial calligraphy that tells a message it just in its very image everyone loves them anyone who says they don't is just insecure and broken (laughs) well if it was a feminine image, it would you could translate it into Jungian terms as anyone who doesn't love a big, strong, feminine power is broken, which might not be inaccurate. It's very true. I don't know. What do you think? I think that 
It's like this masculine grandstanding way of saying how important the relationship to the feminine is and that he has no idea how ironic he's being by talking like that. In other words, he's unaware of the truth of what he's saying, right? Yeah. In his universe, if you don't like tigers, there's something wrong with you. But in the more ephemeral symbolic universe, what he's saying is true, but he has no way of knowing that because he couldn't possibly comprehend what the fuck we're talking about because he's so narcissistic. In concrete terms, what he's saying is ridiculous bullshit. But in symbolic terms, it's totally real. And he's even linking it back to primordial. I mean, he uses that word. He gets it. But yet his connection to this primordial feminine is so messed up in his yeah in my opinion in his real life relationship he's broken that's the irony is that he's broken and he's obviously broken look at him he's got a friggin' harem yeah let's talk about that maybe that's not so bad maybe being a, having a harem <laughs> is good who am i to say why am i being so judgmental of people with harems i mean you're right it's a lifestyle choice i do watch uh sister wives i love that show it's very interesting oh. just for the psychology yeah i wouldn't like, watch that show if you paid me that is pure psychology right there very interesting. Not promoting polygamy, just saying. It's interesting. Promote it. Why not? No, I think that the women who have managed to stay with him long term have managed to make their peace with it. But yeah, like, do you remember when he's introducing his three wives to the cameras? He describes them by their body type and shape before giving their names. And that cute, short Italian over there and something about that long haired blonde beauty there. Well, that's a lot just... like Jeff Lowe, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. Yes. So again, these people who are okay with dominating the big cats and using them for their own gain. It makes sense that that's going to translate into doing the same with their human female companionship too, right? Yeah. One of the most interesting things I thought was when they went back and talked to a former apprentice of Doc Antle's and she was talking more about all the the young apprentices coming as teens and how one of the first things he would do was rename them, give them a new name. Yeah, very cult leader type thing. To very. Do. very. He would um, choose their clothes and make sure they were sexy. Sounds like she got signed up to get breast implants kind of without being asked so much. And she mm -hmm. went along with it just because she wanted a rest from all the work. <laughs> and she also pointed out that he liked these younger teenage girls because he liked to be their first sexual encounter. Then he felt like he had something over them and can, could control them because he had been their first well, conqueror. That and also there is something Middle Eastern about the virginity and femininity. Like if a woman is had sex with another man, she's ruined and she's no longer feminine. And there's, so there's that sort of piece that he's after, which is, um, yeah. I mean, it's bullshit, but you know, it's a piece that he's after. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on. So Carol Baskin, in my opinion, is the sickest of the lot. I don't know why I believe that. Maybe I bought the hype. Maybe Joe Exotic convinced me that indeed her husband is buried under the septic tank, which I thought was such an interesting symbolic thing. Like it's the place that where all the shit goes, Ooh. like the shadow. Sometimes in dream interpretation, when someone has a dream about a bathroom or shit, the shit of their soul is like the dark side of it, the shadow. And the fact that he'd place him under a septic tank says more about him because it's his projection, right? He's projecting his darkness because he's a murderer. Oh, that's a good point. Yep. Nope. You know, I like right? It. Mm -hmm, I and like, like he's in a sense killing her husband over and over and over again and projecting all of his dark shit onto this woman and putting it under the shitter. Yep. That's mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of interesting. But there was something, maybe it was about the way the documentary was filmed, but for some reason, Carol Baskin was the one I enjoyed hating the most. I, there was just something about her that was, I just, I so want her to be put in prison for killing that man like i think i'm caught up in maybe joe exotic's projection like i want her punished but i don't i don't even know what she's done because on paper she 
not that bad. I mean, she runs a cat rescue. Sure, she exploits a bunch of people and they volunteer, but so what? They choose to do that. The cats seem well taken care of, you know? So she says, hey, everybody, everybody, hey, cats and kittens. Like, oh, God. <laughs> but that's not so bad. But for some reason, I hate this person. Amy, why do I hate Carol Baskin so much? Am I am I a sexist man? Am I am I uh, what's am I? <laughs> no, you're you're not sexist. I think I think you. This documentary was definitely shot in a way that it, it was. It wasn't like a documentary that lets you make up your own mind. No, it doesn't. Right? It's like Carol Baskin, bad person. And I want to come on record and say that I do think she is the one that's has the moral high ground in this documentary. All so right, we can fight about that. That's fine. No, but I we still want, have to talk I, about I all her issues. I think on paper you're you're right. My thinking function says you're right. My intuition, the feeling function, like no, f that woman. Well, interesting. Let's get into this more then and see what what it is that that makes you. Maybe <laughs> just, maybe some of this will help. I just, okay. Anyway, keep going. So tell us about Carol Baskin. So although she's the one who purports to be saving the cats and really is doing much more to save these cats than any of the other people, right. she still is really infatuated with this feline big cat energy. But I think for her, it's not necessarily just about wanting to dominate it. It's that she identifies with it as well. I think one of the creepier quotes that she said, and maybe this is one of the reasons that you that you didn't like it, is looking smilingly at the camera and then one of the cats jumps or pounces on something or roars, I can't remember, and she says, you can see how they go from being so sweet to just wanting to tear your face off and they can do it just like that. And it's like, oh, that's amazing to have that kind of range and that speed. And she just says it with like this sense of awe and smiling and like it's just the cutest thing, even though she's talking about how this tiger could like. Yeah, there's something sociopathic about her sort of flat because Joe Exotic, I mean, he may be narcissist, but like what you see is what you get. But with Carol Baskin, I felt like I understand this could just be manipulation by Netflix. But like, it, like she could any second could whip out like a stiletto and put it in your neck, you know? I'm not sure I see sociopath as much as mild autistic spectrum obsession kind of stuff, okay. honestly. Well, well, technically, I'm not permitted to diagnose people who are not my patient. I'm just for all those of you listening, I'm not <laughs> diagnosing any of these people because that would not be ethical. I'm simply expressing my opinion as a citizen of this nation that Carol Baskin is out of her ever loving mind. That is what she I think. She is interesting. You know, she said that she didn't have friends growing up. She just had two imaginary cats. <laughs> I mean, look at the clothing. She's and like, yes, that combined with all the animal print and the, the cat print wallpaper and the cat statues and the cat print dishes and the cat print furniture. It's just that's what so, makes me think Asperger's kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but so what what is her fascination with the feminine? Why, why is she so wound up in it? What's going on with her? So let's is she trying to dominate it? Like, what is I she doing? I think she's identified with it and trying to use that energy for herself to keep herself safe. Let's get into her early life and I think we'll answer that question. Okay, okay? let's get into right. her childhood. Here, so here it comes, everyone. Yeah, there we go. Everything can go back to childhood, right? Everything, all of it. Yeah, <laughs> even the stuff that doesn't does. So she mentions that she grew up poor in a fundamentalist Christian family and that she got raped at age 15. And that for her family, that meant she was to blame because she must have been asking for it, which is the negative side of the feminine, right? Any kind of yeah. sexuality must be the woman's fault, and, fault. and bad. Yeah. So she left home, got married at 17 to a man who was, sounds like, super abusive. And then... Do you remember the story of how she met her second husband? Kind of randomly, right? She had a fight with her first husband and was out walking the streets. She says somewhere else that her go-to coping mechanism is pacing, just like the tiger's. 
And Don Lewis drives by her in his truck and offers her a ride. She says no. He drives by her twice more until the third time he says, come on, get in the truck. I just want to talk. And his gun is laying on the seat. And he says, you can hold my gun on me. It's fine. I just want to talk. (laughs) And she's telling the story and she's like, so I did. I got in the truck. I picked up the gun. I held it on him and he talked. And then I spent the night with him. (laughs) And then they both had this affair for the next four years before they finally left their spouses and married each other. He was 42 at that time and she was 20. So... Now she's with this guy who is a multimillionaire, but doesn't like people to know that because he's afraid that people are just trying to use him. So he's not okay with normal connection. He wants that kind of authority. And their infatuation with big cats starts together, right? They're collecting them. And and at first they were breeding them too. But then she started getting more on the conservation side and he didn't want to. He wanted to keep it a business. Uh And I think that was a big source of conflict for them. To me, that's kind of her process of, I don't want to be the kept female again. I don't want to be the subjugated female to my husband again. I want to start taking care of this feminine energy in the form of cats and in the form of myself on my own. Owning her power. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and it looked, it worked. It did. Somehow he disappeared. There has been a lot of investigation and there was no evidence that that she offed him. I don't know. Here's the thing. There are a lot of cold cases in the United States. Yes. Many, many, many thousands of them and you don't hear about them. People are murdered all the time and it's gone unsolved. So Netflix makes it look like a thing, but it could have been anything. It could be any, any people drop dead. You're a doctor. People die all the time of crazy shit, right? They do. They just fucking drop. Boom. No more person. So who knows? Who the fuck knows? But psychologically speaking, I think that was good for her because her third husband is Howard Baskin, who the first time we meet him says something like, my number one goal in life is to make this woman happy. You know, yeah, like he's a nice guy. She's finally learned her lesson. This guy is never going to dominate her. In yeah. fact, do you remember the creepy wedding pictures where he's wearing a tiger fur suit? And she's got a leash. And she's got him on a leash, which again, lends to the creep factor of why you just want her to be a murderer or something because yeah. she's just not quite right. Yeah, but it's not really fair of me, is it? Okay, you're, you're winning me over. No, you're winning me over. I, I think I'm too harsh. Carol Baskin, I want to publicly apologize to you for calling you a, a murderer and an evil person. I think you're just a little wacky. That's all. <laughs> because I think Howard really wants to save the cats too. Yeah, and I think she finally found somebody to work with that would like protect the feminine energy, her own, and yeah. the cat and, energy, and also as not well. challenge her in a way that would hurt her. I mean, he calls her the Mother Teresa of big cats. That clearly shows his projection oh, on her. Would you like to? Uh, ha- no, I don't want to analyze him. <laughs> I don't care about him. Um, clearly, he's, he's, she, she married good. a milk toast, is what she did. And one of the things that she hates most about the big cat people, which I think you kind of said before, is she sees them as look at me, look at me, here's my pictures with these cats. Like they're using it to elevate their own status. Well, they're also stealing from her because she. those are her cats. Mm. That's her energy that they're marketing. Mm. And I think that that's what she feels like happened to her in her first two marriages yeah. is that she was exploited. I mean, she was, she was the robbed. cute, blonde, 20-year-old who married the 42-year-old rich guy. Yeah. And, you know, she, yeah. And that's so. never going to happen to her again. That's what it is that creeps me out about her. Yeah. You can feel the 
power, the, 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 the quiet. In other words, like someone like Doc Antler and Joe Exotic, they're kind of transparent about how they like power. But Carol Baskin is not. But she clearly likes power a lot. And she's not what she says she is. And I would respect her a lot more if she just said, yeah, fuck all those those dumbasses with their tigers. Fuck them. I'm, I'm better than they are. I would have been like, good. you know. <laughs> I do think she's owning her power and trying to use it for conservation. But she's not, not just... she's not transparent about who she is. Mm, mm, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I totally agree with you there. Anyway, I don't mean to argue with you. Nope, that's good. That was what makes a good podcast. So do you have anything else about Carol? No, you wanted to move on to... Well, I think the only sympathetic characters in this are some of the zookeepers. Yeah. Right? Like the people that are really do seem to be in it for the animals yeah. and the actual the care. One who lost her arm. Yeah. Oh, my God. You want to talk about her? So I think we should say him. Apparently, there's been a big uproar about this, but but Saf identifies as a man. Okay. All right. Whatever. Um, and a lot of people in the documentary referred to him as her. But I think that it's clear that he is likely biologically feminine and now choosing to identify as masculine and i think female that... biologically female ident- oh identifies sorry as a man. The, yes which is interesting because and this is i'm going to go on the edge here symbolically when you get your hand cut off it's symbolic of castration well and left is feminine usually feminine yeah. and to me that whole thing was almost like a sacrifice to the feminine it was like a sacrificing of the hand to but it was a random accident you think it has meaning I do. I think that the accident was random, but but then in the hospital, the surgeon offered that the hand could probably be yeah. reconstructed with a couple of years of surgeries. Right. And Saf said, no, amputate it. I'm done. And to me, I don't know. I just think archetypally that is for someone who was not necessarily physically transitioning, but identifying. Yeah. What, to me, I was like, that seems like a, sacri- a sacrifice of part of the body. Yeah. Weird. Fascinating. Yeah. So- We've talked about pretty much all the characters. I, I think I want to talk about one other character, which was the uh, very skinny guy with the long hair, you know? Oh, never... the head zookeeper? Yeah. Eric Cowie. Yeah. I mean, I, I really liked the job Netflix did, like when they showed him at the end, like pretty drunk when he was talking about, you know, that like how bad he felt. Yeah. And they really, I'm pretty sure their statement was this man's an alcoholic and is suffering. I just liked him. He was real and he yeah. clearly also cared about the cat. You know what it is? You know why those the underlings or the people the help they come across as much more genuine? Why? Because they don't have that projection. Yeah. On those animals. They're not tiger kings. They're just regular folks. Yeah. You know? Anyway, look, so you wanted to talk about something on a much grander scale. What did you want to say? Yeah, I think we need to go go meta. And we're going meta, folks. <laughs> so I think that, you Here know. Here we are. We're getting the helicopter. We're we've talked about some all altitude. these. Yep, there we go. Hear it. Thump, 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 I mean, thump, we thump, talked thump, about thump, all these thump, characters thump. and how they're subjugating the feminine and showing their dominance. But in a way, I think that the documentary itself does that. I think you could probably make the case that we, doing this podcast, are also using the, the feminine or the dominance of the feminine. No, we're using the popular gain. term Tiger King to get famous on the internet so we can become rich and have our own tiger zoo yeah let's talk about why is this so fascinating to us as we're going through a global pandemic why was tiger king the ultimate in pandemic binge watching what Mm -hmm. do you think i mean it was just a freaking good documentary i think it probably would have been popular anytime but i don't know it's i don't know 
I mean, it was totally, it was a shit show. It was the ultimate escapism, right? You yeah. couldn't think about all your stuff when you were watching all of these train wrecks happen at a time. But I want to think that there's, you know, something deeper. Like, why is it that this particular story captured our attention? If you see nature itself as as a symbol of the feminine, right? I mean, we talk about Gaia, we talk about Mother Earth, whatever. I think that you could see this virus or this pandemic as a product of nature, as a product of Mother Earth, as a product of some cycle that's coming, right? These pandemics do come in cycles. There was one 100 years ago with the Spanish flu. And is this some kind of nature cycle that is trying to kill us? It is trying to reestablish the balance on the planet or not? And is the reason that we all needed an escapist show about people who like to dominate the feminine because we would like to have some semblance of control over what nature is throwing at us right now. Whoa. Uh, that's too complicated for me to disagree with. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would say it was too touchy feely woo woo, like um, mother nature. My only critique of it whatever. is that it's, it's very um, mathy. Like I can see what you're saying on paper, but my gut doesn't say, doesn't resonate with it. But I don't know. It's interesting. Um, I have likened COVID to a psychic forest fire. You know, like you know how forest forest fires get rid of all the underbrush and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of really bad ideas that are being eradicated from the culture right now. People are discovering that you know, oh my God, the nuclear family really does work. And what happens when you can't have help, and someone has to take care of the kids, and someone one person has to work and one person has to do this, and we have to divvy up the labor, and we have to actually. And what happens when when survival is important? And when survival is important, the archetypes reign supreme. You know, I talk about the the Inuit. Seymour used to tell me this story. Um, you know Seymour. I know Seymour. You went to visit him once, didn't I you? I did. Yeah. I went to visit him a few times. Yes, you did. I once picked persimmons off of his tree and made persimmon bread and felt like I was dealing with the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, wow. That's, because he was very wise. He was indeed. And very tall. And now he's very dead. But that, the point is... is <laughs> so. So, yeah, he told this story about the Inuit, and the, the male Inuit would have to go out and he'd cut a hole in the ice to wait for a seal to come up for air, right? And he'd have to stand there for 12 hours with a spear over this hole, waiting for a freaking seal. And then he'd bring the seal home if he caught one, and his wife would take the seal and, you know, cut it up and do their thing. And then she would take the uh, hide and chew it as a way of, I guess, softening it. She'd make this really, really sophisticated cloak because Inuit are geniuses, of course, because you got to be a genius to live in a fucking in ice, right? I mean, seriously, those are probably, they should really have the Inuit just run for president. I bet you they're the <laughs> smartest people. And so she would make this really sophisticated clothing that was, I guess, double layered and would have air circulation. So the idea was is that if you sweat in that clothing, uh, your sweat wouldn't freeze to your skin because it was just one layer. It would freeze to your skin and you'd die. Oh. So they made this really complex. Clothing. Anyway, the point is, is that it wasn't about who must, who had to do, but it was like, if he didn't do his job and she didn't do her job, everybody would die. Mm. And those are the archetypes. That's where archetypes come from. Ultimately is the, the naked core of human culture, human, human nature and behavior and survival. That's where all this shit comes from. And no matter how sophisticated we get as a culture, no matter how far we get from the archetypes at the end of the day, and I'm not saying that women have to do x and men have to do y i'm not saying that i'm saying that somebody has to do x and somebody's got to do y there's no way we are ever going to get away from that ever in the history of the world i don't care how postmodern you think you are and so i think covid is reminding everybody of that and whether you agree that covid is a big a threat as you know dr fauci says is not the point the point is, is that we are being taught something incredibly important by this pandemic and i hope we remember it but even the images that you used of the forest fire bringing transformation seems to me like 
I don't know, is fire necessarily masculine? Because the the new growth and lushness that comes after a fire is definitely feminine. Well, that's them working together, perhaps. I don't yeah. know. That's a good question. Is fire masculine or feminine? I would say masculine because the sun is masculine. Because the idea is, is that Mother Earth and fire work together. Yeah. Right. So maybe that's it. It's not that the Tiger King is only appealing to feminine stuff. It's showing us how masculine can, no, you're thinking I'm getting to. No, no, I'm sorry to make a face. Nope, I made a face fine. at my former patient. I apologize. I, <laughs> I'm used to it, everyone. It's not the first time. It will not be the last. No, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I don't know. I was reading, there's this book called Archetype of the Apocalypse by Edinger, and he does this thing where there's all these archetypes like the beast and the opposites and Valhalla and all these archetypal tropes that kind of come together and he has them literally in a diagram and he calls the the diagram the, the apocalypse archetype and the idea is that as a culture we decide to have an apocalypse it's not that something happens to us like a meteorite hits but that we unconsciously decide to destroy ourselves i feel that regardless of how dangerous covid is which i'm sure it's very dangerous there is an unconscious process that i feel is constellating in our culture right now that is life-threatening to our civilization i'm not saying we should open up the stores everyone i'm not saying that that trump's tweets are okay i'm not saying that i'm not <laughs> saying that i just sense a much more sinister leviathan rising from the depths it scares the shit out of me well that made me think about why it's important to have escapist Netflix binging then. Because yes. Everybody in Tiger King is trying to destroy themselves much more obviously yeah. than we all are. Did you want to add anything before we close? No, I mean, I don't think that we tied this all up in a neat bow for people, but I hope we made people think well, about it. In a I'll do that. Way. I'll tie it up in a neat bow. The oh, point okay. is... Folks, there's more than one way to look at things. This is another way of looking at stuff that's a lot of fun and will actually give you more information. And what's really fun about talking about this stuff is that when somebody's not into it, you get this big eye roll. They get so incredibly smug and condescending and like, oh God, why are you into this bullshit? It's glorious to watch. <laughs> um, Dr. Dr. Lawson, I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, it was fun to you're just talk about something silly. <laughs> you're a phenomenal guest. It was not silly. Uh, it's not silly because you can use this lens to talk about anything in your life. What we're doing is we're buttering the pill. You know when your mom used to make you swallow the pill, but they put butter on it? Mm. And so we're, 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 the pill is Jungian archetypal thinking. The butter is, of course, Tiger King. Tiger King. Yeah. So swallow, the, swallow your medicine, ladies and gentlemen, and start looking at the world archetypally, and you'll be better off. <laughs> you'll be better off. And if you have other crazy pop culture things you want us to dissect, let us know. Yes. I intend to do more episodes with Amy, probably a lot of them, because she's a super genius and I respect her deeply. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much. And I look forward to doing more of these with you. Thanks. That was fun. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Pertinent information stemming from this podcast will appear in the program notes. Should you have any questions or would like to be a guest on my show, you may contact me at benjaminrusick at gmail.com or go to my website at benjaminrusick.com. I encourage you to subscribe, share, and all the rest. Thanks again. And remember, whenever you find your plate is full, sometimes you need to brush a few things off to the side and sometimes you just need a bigger plate.